Okay, well, hey, we are about to jump into the message. Go ahead and pull your Bibles out. Um, and then here's the exciting news of the day. I am not preaching this morning. I'm feeling pretty great about that. And also because I know who is preaching this morning. So I mentioned this last week, but um, for today and then next Sunday, we've got some in-house uh, communicators here, um, just members within our church that are going to be sharing the Word of God. And this morning, we got Lindsey Gore who's going to share. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, no, we're going we're gonna to give you multiple cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lindsey's sharing. Um, and so we'll do that again in like maybe 45 seconds. Um, but um, and then next week, we've got Joey Casillas who's going to share, which is great. And uh, Lindsay will unpack this series, but one thing I want to say about having folks from within our church body share is really, guys, it's such, it's such a gift. It's a gift to this church family to have just trusted, godly people that love Jesus, love the Word of God, and can communicate the Word of God in an understandable way that helps us grow. It doesn't need to be just one pastor or, or a couple pastors sharing God's word, but we all can hear the voice of God and we can all share what God is teaching us. And I just think it's an incredible gift to our church family to have folks like Lindsay or Joey or others share on occasion. And so just want to whet your appetite for receiving a lot this morning. It's going to be rich. Lindsay already showed me all of her notes. It's, real, it's good, guys. But we are about to jump into part two of this series. Give it up one more time for Lindsay Gore. Come on, Lindsay. All right, we're going to pray for Lindsay. Y'all agree with me? Lord, we thank you so much for Lindsay. Thank you for your spirit that's inside of her. And Lord, we thank you for the message you've given her this morning. I'm asking that you would open our hearts to receive. Lord, we want to leave here changed. We want to leave here more in love with you. And Lord, we just pray that you would anoint Lindsay with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right. <laughs> thanks, Mitchell. Woo! Woo! Thanks, guys. That was fun. Oh, man. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for letting me come and talk to you guys. Um, I'm Lindsay. I'm the media communications kids admin girl at this church. <laughs> and I love it. It's so fun. Um, I'm also in the young adult life group. Shout out to Hampton Street in the balcony. Yeah. Yeah, we have fun. <laughs> and also, I just really love the Bible, guys. Um, I uh, had this experience where I've just kind of I've fallen down too many rabbit holes. Actually, not too many, just the perfect amount <laughs> of rabbit holes. Where I just love going deep in the Word of God and unpacking the mysteries of the Word of God, mostly because it's been confusing to me for most of my life. And so I'm in this fun season where I've actually started going to seminary a little bit and just learning a lot. And it's so fun and it's great. And so kind of the picture I've got in my brain for this morning is like I've for kind of years been just like in a mine shaft, like mining away at this treasure. And I am like showing up today kind of all dirty, like covered in dust. But I'm like, guys, look what I found. I found all these jewels and I'm going to share them with you. And it's just fun to share them with my family. This room feels like family. Also, my actual family is here, which is really fun. <laughs> Shout out to my parents um, and my brother on FaceTime. <laughs> but uh, also, I was just thinking about this. I was like, you know, I know my parents pray fervently because one time I told them I didn't believe in God, and now I'm here. So I know my mom prays for me because she was, yeah, there's no way. Um, <laughs> so just to recap what Mitchell has talked about, we're doing a series called King of the Jews. And Mitchell preached last week what he called the worst Christmas sermon ever, and it was super good. It was actually so good. Like, have you ever heard a sermon on Christmas preached about Herod? You know, like, 
not me. It was just, but it was so helpful because it was giving like more pieces of the picture. And that's something that I really love to talk about is like the whole picture of the Bible. And so I'm going to attempt to talk about the entire biblical narrative this morning um, in 30 minutes. Let's see if we can do this. <laughs> Y'all might be hungry and I'm already sorry. Um, but I just think that it's so helpful because that's one thing that I have found is like I've read a lot of like pieces at a time and I'm like, okay, this is cool, like cool story. But seeing how it all fits together, if you didn't know, the Bible is a unified story written over thousands of years and it's very geographically distant from our experience. And so I think it takes a lot more effort for a modern Western reader to try and understand the Bible the way that it was meant to be read. And so one thing Mitchell said last week was that it's not about you. And I thought that, yes, it's so helpful. It's not about us. doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us, but it's not about us primarily. And so um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about why we should think about the whole biblical narrative and how it's going to inform our understanding. Because I kind of like to think about it like a positive feedback loop, which is... Uh, maybe a, an engineering term that I should drop, but um, but some of y'all get it. Um, and it's basically like when you understand a little piece of the story, it makes the bigger picture make more sense. And when you understand the bigger picture, you go back and reread the smaller parts, and you're like, oh, dude, I totally see how this fits in that bigger picture. And then you keep going, and you keep going, and you just grow in understanding, and it's like greater depth as you go down this spiral. But maybe you're going up. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> you're getting closer to God. That's the point. Um, and so my goals this morning is that we'd be really in awe of God, that we'd be in awe of the Bible, and that we would like feel motivated to read it more <laughs> because it's awesome, and it's probably cooler than you think it is. Um, and also, yeah, that we're just going to recap the whole narrative. So some disclaimers. It's going to be broad, not deep. And I'm also giving you my interpretation, going through my interpretive lens. So that means you should read it yourself, first of all. And second of all, you're going to get the Lindsay International Translation, which means it's going to be a little bit lit. So <laughs> somebody else made that joke. I actually can't take credit for it. But I do like to explain things with a lot of slang. So I'm already sorry if you don't know what I'm saying. I'm going to try not to. <laughs> also, just pray I don't go down too many rabbit trails because I want to really bad and I don't want to keep you too long. So, anyways, with all of that, all the disclaimers out of the way, we're going to get started. Are you guys ready? Okay, take a deep breath. I'm going to take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, cool. So, one little thing I'm also going to say before we get started is there's this thing that um, a lot of people who study the Hebrew Bible will notice is that there's a lot of repetition in the early pages of the Bible. And this is actually a literary technique used by Hebrew writers. And it's kind of like, it's not something that's super familiar to us. And so that plays itself out in like repeated phrases, repe repeated words, but also kind of rep repeated plot lines and stories. And so I just kind of want you to like pay attention of like, oh, is this like sounding familiar? Like, is this like a replay of something I've already heard, just a little bit different? That is something that is like really good to pay attention to when you're reading the Bible. And it's actually, the point of it is to display something about God's character and human nature. And so it's actually really helpful when you start noticing it. And honestly, that has made the Bible come alive for me. I'm like, wait, this is a replay of this and this. And it's like, whoa, and your brain explodes and it's awesome. So <laughs> also before we start, I want us to read or go through this whole narrative empathetically, meaning we're going to try and pretend we don't know the rest of the story yet. So just kind of get in the mindset of your inner ancient Israelite reading this for the first time. 
yeah, good luck with that. I don't know how to do that either. Um, <laughs> but we're doing that so that we can see the story unpack as it comes, and we will kind of come back to it and be like, whoa, Jesus, whoa, how does this apply to us? But for the sake of where we're starting at, forget everything you know. <laughs> Except not all the way, but you know what I mean. So we're going to do it. All right, here we go. First, first step in the beginning, creation. We're in this. God creates everything by saying words, which is just nuts. And humans, he creates for relationship with him. Yeah. And we're like, yes, this is awesome. Wow, what a, what a sweet deal. And he invites them to co-rule and co-reign with him in the garden. This is Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every li living thing that moves on the earth. And so we're like, sick. Sounds lit. Like, we're, we're invited to go into the garden and do this with God. And he, like, gives humans authority, which is, like, a little, like, why, you know? Um, but then we see that there's this deception there's the fall um in my notes i have boo <laughs> uh adam and eve are deceived and buy into a lie about god that causes them not to trust him and they disobey his command and this is leading to a series of of curses that god gives and really he's he's just like he's cursing the the ground he's cursing the humans he's telling them like you're gonna go toil with the land now like there's something has entered in this relationship that now there's not, the trust is broken. And so um, in Genesis 3.15, God is cursing the snake that deceived them. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And I'm emphasizing this verse in particular because it's going to come back up a lot of times in the biblical narrative. Not even as much as I'm going to mention, but it's, everywhere in the Bible when you start seeing it. And so just tuck that one away, okay? And then next after that, we see Adam and Eve leave the garden, and then they have more children, Cain and Abel, and then Cain and Abel bring offerings to God, and God favors one offering over the other. He favors Abel's, and Cain gets mad because he's like, bro, I brought you some stuff too, you know? And God, for whatever reason, chooses Abel's. And this is what the Lord says to Cain. Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And we're like, okay, okay, he's capable. What's he going to do? And then we see the first murder in the Bible. Cain kills Abel. And the blood of Abel cries out to God. And God says, what have you done? And it's just, from here, just, this is the downward spiral of, of human evil and sin just getting worse and worse uh, to the point where it's like God looks in the land and he's like, there ain't not one, except Noah, this one guy Noah. But everybody else, deception and evil in the human heart. And he sees the heart, so he knows. And then God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe this out. Like, I'm going to do an act of decreation and I'm going to start over, but no, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to save all these animals, so get in a boat, and they do, and God sends a flood, and he, once Noah gets out of the boat, he makes this covenant with him, which is really more of a promise of, like, I will never again destroy the earth, even though I see the evil in humans' heart. I have a plan, and we're like, okay, okay, he's got a plan. All right, let's go, and then we get to this guy, Abraham, and we're like, okay, 
Abraham. God just picks him out seemingly out of nowhere, which is kind of funny to me because he's just like chilling and God's like, hey, leave your family and I'm going to start a new nation from you. And he's just like, word, and he leaves. And I'm sure it was more complicated than that, but but that's how I read it. Um, And God says, I will promise to bless all of the nations through your family, Abraham. And, And honestly, like, what? Like, and he's infertile. He's 99. And he's like, I'm going to have a kid, question mark. And then God says, yep. And he is like, okay. And then they're waiting on the promise, but they get kind of impatient. And so they make the promise happen in their own way. And you see, it's kind of like a replay of that Genesis situation where it's like, I'm going to take what seems right in my own eyes and do it myself. And from there, another fall. And we see, but despite that, God is faithful to Abraham. He's like, hey, I'm not going to give up on you, but I'm, like, also going to deal with this injustice that's going on. And so at some point down the line, God asks Abraham, hey, like, go to a mountain and sacrifice your son Isaac. And in our eyes, we're like, how, what? Like, why would, that's not good, you know? Why would God do that? And despite what seemed right in his own eyes, he trusted God. And he went up to a mountain and he went to go sacrifice his son, and instead of him actually killing his son, God provided an exchange. He said, hey, here is a, a lamb instead of Isaac, but, I, but it's like so confusing for us because we're like, How, what? That one doesn't really make sense, and there's so, mu- there's so much in this particular story that I would love to do a deep dive into, but what I want to emphasize is that Abraham chose to obey God over what seemed right in his own eyes. And I wish I could go down a rabbit trail, but I'm going to have self-control. <laughs> so then from there, we see the family of God that comes through Abraham. Um, just to give a little genealogy, uh, it's Abraham has Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac has Esau and Jacob. Jacob is renamed Israel, has 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. And that's where we see that happen. Um, but what's weird is, like, Abraham's sons are, like, kind of whack. Like, all of these guys are kind of weird, and if you're paying attention, you can sort of see, like, these, like, same stories happening. It's like the deceptions that Abraham was doing or the, the, the failing narratives of Abraham are, like, getting replayed in his sons, and you're like, man, humans be like that, huh? And then, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> But what we see, the important part is that God is faithful to his promise to Abraham despite them being weird. Um, So then we get to this guy, Joseph, right? Joseph is, yeah, someone really loves Joseph. (laughs) Uh, He goes from being this younger son who has a dream, and he's like, I'm going to rule over all you guys. And they're like, no, you're not. And then they go, and they're like, we're going to kill you, which is awful. And then they end up saying, never mind, we're just going to sell you into slavery to Egypt. And so then it's Joseph being taken into slavery to Egypt. And then from there, he becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. And you're like, how did that happen? Read the Bible. You can find out. Um, It's a really cool story. But we see that he ends up being the salvation of his family, like he was in the dream. And there's this huge famine in all of Egypt, well, in all the land, and all of, the, of Jacob's family, they come, and they're like, can we please have some food? And then it's like, hey, it's me, Joseph. And they're like, whoa, what? And yeah, this is really not how it happens. You've got to read the Bible. But I'm just giving you my <laughs> interpretation. And uh, Joseph says to them in Genesis 45, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And it's not just their lives, it's like 
lots of lives he's preserved because he was sold into slavery, which is crazy. Once again, God using the sin of evil humanity to restore a lot of lives. That is crazy. Tuck that away in your brain. <laughs> so then we get to the Mosaic Covenant. So we see that you know time has passed. There are, there's a new pharaoh in town, and he's really not as cool as the other guy, and he has enslaved all the Israelites, but there's like favor on them for some reason. Like they are getting so big and so strong that he gets scared. And so then they're like, okay, okay, we're going to do something about this. And Pharaoh says, hey, kill all of the newborn babies. And you're like, all right. And so instead of that, the midwives are really cool. They actually are kind of the heroes in the story. And they're like, I don't know, we just can't, they just, it happens too fast. I don't know. It's like a very strange but they're, they're the heroes, which is really cool. And then Moses is one of those babies that's born. He escapes, ends up becoming like the son of Pharaoh and grows up in the household of Pharaoh. And then eventually he realizes his identity. He's actually Hebrew, and he sees the way that they're being treated. He murders an Egyptian um, slave driver, and then he has to flee for his life. And then after some time being in the wilderness, he encounters God in a burning bush. And God, yeah, and God, and God says, hey, I'm going to use you to be the deliverer of my people. And Moses is like, no, not me. I don't, I can't talk that good. And he's like, no, no, it's you. And so then he goes, and he is basically the intermediary for God. He's like, hey, and it's, you kind of see it's like the battle of the gods. And Pharaoh's like, no, uh, but no, uh, actually. And then God's like, whatever, dude. And he beats Pharaoh because <laughs> he's God. And they escape through the Red Sea, and then now we have this people, these Israelite slaves that are just like, now what? <laughs> and they show up at Mount Sinai, and God makes a covenant with them. And that word covenant, you probably know mostly from marriage, and it's kind of what's going on right here. God is like co covenanting to this people, and he saves them before he makes a covenant with them. So their salvation is not dependent on their obedience but he gives them the law. He teaches them how to live right before him. He's like, hey, like, this is the way that is good. And if you obey me, there's going to be a lot of blessing for you. But if you disobey me, like, there are going to be some consequences. And this is what they are. Man, I got really turned around in my notes. But at that covenant moment, the people, like, before Moses really gets down there, they make a golden calf. They make an idol, which is like, Rule number one on the list is, like, don't worship other gods. And they're, like, already messing it up. And kind of a way to think about it is, like, they're committing adultery on the wedding night. Like, they said, like, we want you to be our god, and then immediately worship another god. And it's like, dude, come on now. You know, be better. <laughs> but they, but God says, I'm going to destroy these people. Like, they don't want me. They're already, like, not going to follow me. And there's this really interesting moment where Moses says, like, no, God, please, like, have mercy on them instead take my life and God says no I'll just have mercy on them and you're like because you're thinking like is this Moses guy has got to be like the Genesis 315 snake crusher dude right and then God's like it's not you but I will still have mercy on them I will be faithful to that aspect of my character and I will still use this people here's another set of the law let's try this again and so here we go they're doing it again and Moses, at the end of his life, he's like, restates the entire law, and he's like, here are all the blessings, here are all the curses if you don't obey, and at the end of this list of curses is like the mega curse, which is exile. And so we're like, okay, here we go. And the, and the really encouraging thing that Moses says is like, hey, I know you're going to fail, 
So just, you know, there's that. And you're like, dude, what? <laughs> like, what a downer, man. <laughs> In Deuteronomy 30, he says, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where, your Lord, where the Lord God has scattered you. And so we're like, okay, word. He still like has this redemption plan in the long run. So we're like, all right, guy, let's do this. So then Moses dies. Joshua's his next in line. They go into the promised land, and you're like, okay, cool, they made it, but like, they don't seem like they're going to have it figured out, and they don't. They continue to fail. There's just more and more sin, more human depravity you see going down, and God sends these deliverers, these judges, and there's like momentary points of peace along the way. And then kind of in this context is whenever Samuel arrives on the scene, and he is right there when the people are like, we want a king because everybody else has one. And they're like, no, God's supposed to be your king. And they're like, we don't care. <laughs> and so God is like, okay, I'm, it's okay. Give them a king. Give them what they want. And we see Saul anointed, but really it's David. Like David is like the background, runt of the litter guy that God's like, that's my king. And you're like, okay, is he the guy? Like, is he going to bring deliverance? Is he going to rescue the people? And so you're kind of, like, expecting. And he seems like a good pick. Like, he's, he's doing the right stuff, you know? Um, and so, yeah, we're, that's where we're at. We're seeing a lot of hope in that. But at some point, David's like, hey, man, I want, God, I want to build you a house. Like, I got a house, and it's really sick, so you should have a house. And God's like, nah, but I'm going to build you a house. And he's like, <laughs> so this is 2 Samuel 7. It says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And you're like, oh, so it's not David, but it's one of David's kids. No, it is. So you're just like, you're kind of building this category in your mind of like this checkbox of like there is some long-term redemption plan deliverer guy and he's going to be from David. He's going to crush the snake and he's going to have a kingdom forever. Sounds cool, but it's not David. He does some also bad things and you're like, man, he's just really not all the way the moral character you want him to be, which is humans, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and so here we are. The kingdom is eventually disunified under the reign of David's grandson. He, the, so now you have kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judah. They have a bunch of kings. There's like a handful of good ones that bring religious reform, but for the most part, they're kind of the worst. And they are like, hey, let's worship this other god. And you're like, man, come on now. And so then it's finally we see the mega curse. It occurs. They're brought into exile, which is awful. Also, side note, wisdom, literature, Psalms, Proverbs, all that stuff related to that time period. I also made these so that you can know where we're at <laughs> in the Bible, and you can take a picture of them if you want to. Um, but here we are. We're in exile, and now is where we get a lot of the prophets, which the prophets, guys, they're awesome. If you didn't know, they're the best because they are giving you the perspective of God for what's going on in the story. This is like, they're like God's representatives. They're speaking on his behalf. 
and they are also kind of like his attorneys. They're like making the case. They're like, hey, you like didn't adhere to the covenant. You like didn't adhere to the thing that you said you were going to do, and that's why God is acting like this. That's why you're experiencing these things. So they're like kind of making sense of what's going on in their lived experience. And so if you've ever been confused about what God thinks, prophets. Um, <laughs> and also, I just want to acknowledge, though, that in that, there are some really hard things in the prophets sometimes to understand, and it can feel like, man, God is mean. And it's like, if you read it out of context, it is really easy to get there. But if you understand this bigger picture, you start to make sense of it all. And it, it really starts to come together. And you can see, really, it's like God is giving them to the consequences of their decisions. Like, there is a lot going on underneath. And it is God saying, like, hey, you want to worship other gods? Like, there's this scene in Ezekiel where he, like, it's really confusing because it's, like, with a lot of, like, angels with wheels and fire and chariots and you're like dude I don't even have a, a grid for what that means but it's really this picture of God picking up his glory from the temple from the holy of holies and being like I am leaving because you don't want me here and so I'm gonna let you fall into the consequences of what you do want and that's really what we see happen and so it does feel hard to understand, but I, I just would encourage you, like, try and read it in light of all that is going on, and it will make a lot more sense. Um, and so, yeah, here we are. Exile is the result of abandoning God's covenant and worshiping other gods. And, but in the meantime, we still see this promise of a remnant that God's going to preserve to bring forth his, his Messiah, his rescuer, and that's going to come through the line of David. And so this is Isaiah 11. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, which is David's dad, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge but what, by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with his, the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And we're like, okay, that's like a pretty clear picture of like the guy that's going to come. So we're like, okay, cool. And then there's also some prophecies of like kind of this like ultimate judgment, ultimate, like, fulfillment of something greater. We see a little picture of that in Joel. It says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servant in those days. I will pour out my spirit. And we're like, okay, so it's like not even just Israel. It's like all of the nations, which was always the promise to Abraham. But it's like there's like something about m like all of God's spirit being poured out on everyone, not just a particular people. And then in Daniel, he's another uh, guy, prophet, and <laughs> he gives, it's kind of a longer prophecy dream about the day of the Lord, the day of vengeance. And in it, there's this character called the son of man. And we're like, okay, it's like more of a picture of this messianic character. And this is Daniel 7. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he, became, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people in nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
and you're like, okay, come on now. Like there's going to be an everlasting kingdom from this guy. It's not even just about um, a certain time in, in space. It's like there's some sort of cosmic reality behind all of this where there's going to be an ultimate deliverance. And we're like, okay, this deliverance is going to be sick. <laughs> and so also, just P.S., I'm breaking my own rule. Um, the Son of Man is the most common name Jesus refers to himself as. And so it's like on the earth, he doesn't really refer to himself as Christ or the Messiah all that much, or it's like kind of in a weird, like secluded way. But he calls himself the Son of Man all the time. And so when he says that, you should be like thinking of this picture. So if you want to go back and read Daniel and then read the Gospels, you'll be like, whoa. Um, <laughs> it's really cool. So then. At some point, there is a return from exile. God is faithful to his word. There's a king, Cyrus, who says, hey, like, Israelites, go back home. Also, here's some money. Go rebuild your temple, which is, like, crazy. Um, there's, like, a whole passage in Isaiah 45 of God saying, like, I'm using King Cyrus as my tool, even though he's, like, not an Israelite king. And it's really cool. Um, and so whenever he, well, they rebuild the temple, but the temple's, like, kind of lame. It's, like, not as good as the other one was, and they're all, like, really sad about it. And so we're like, mm, bummer. But there's a verse in Ezekiel where he says, like, even though you look at this temple and you say it's not as good, I look at it and I say there will be a greater glory in this temple than the one before it. And you're like, hmm, okay, interesting, noted. And so then really it's like the Old Testament ends. And you're like, okay, so the guy didn't come. Like, what, what a downer. And then you're like, all right, I guess. And then you turn the page to the New Testament and there's this immediate in Matthew genealogy and you're like okay I'll read this and you're like oh wait this guy came from the line of David so ears are perked up and we're like okay cool like the genealogies can feel so boring but really they're telling you something really important so read them um (laughs) and so I'm gonna just kind of go in a little bit on Jesus's birth and some of the prophecies that are fulfilled on yeah Jesus (laughs) uh because it's just like it's crazy, like it's packed. Like I'm scratching the surface of the prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus' birth. And so I'm gonna read a handful of them, but just know there's a lot more. Um, so this is Matthew 1, verse 20 through 25. And uh, yeah, I'm just gonna read it. So, but as he, Joseph, was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she, was given birth, till she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so, there you go. Isaiah is quoted. Boom, first one. This is a quote from, uh, so Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, he's giving a prophecy at John's birth in Luke verse 1, 67. It says, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father David, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sin because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Woo! (laughs) That is crazy, dude. Like, imagine being Zachariah in that moment. Like, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you say that, and everybody in the room's like, whoa, okay. (laughs) Like, that's nuts, dude. And it's not even him. It's just the dad of the guy that's making the way for him. So, I can't imagine what's not written in the Bible, you guys. Probably so many other things. Uh, Matthew 2, it's a little bit of what we read last week, and it's quoting Micah, verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 2, to show how Jesus came from Bethlehem. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired from them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And we're like, the king David, oh my gosh, the kingdom forever, that guy. And then it also says in another prophet that he's going to come out of Egypt, and so we see that fulfilled. And so that was in Hosea that that prophecy was given, that he would come out of Egypt. And so a little bit further down in Matthew 2, verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Crazy. And then one more, one more, one more. I'm just too excited. I have to give you one more. Uh, It's in Luke 2. There's these heavenly beings show up over these random shepherds in the field at night. And, like, bless those guys. I'm sure I would have had a panic attack in that moment. That's crazy, especially if they were, like, the ones with the fire and the eyes and the wings. That would have been crazy. But (laughs) it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So you're like, this is the guy, right? Like, this has got to be the guy. He's fulfilling every prophecy. Like, every box is checked. And you're like, okay, but he's a baby? Like, okay, word. Interesting. Interesting choice, God, but we're here for it. So then (laughs) Jesus grows up. And we see as he's living his life, he's pronouncing the kingdom of heaven. And he's telling everybody, like, hey, this is the way to be a human. Like, this is the way to life. It's through me. And we're like, okay, this is, like, really countercultural and, like, really hard. But, like, I hear you. And it's, like, kind of hard to digest for the people. And, again, this is, like, we're, like, reading empathetically. Like, think, and we give, we hate on the Pharisees. And, like, yeah, they weren't doing all the right things. But, like, exile is fresh on the brain for them. Like, they're like, we have to adhere to the covenant because we just experienced the mega curse. And we don't want that again. And so, you know, surely there were, I mean, God can see to the heart. So he saw their corruption in their heart. And that's what he was calling out. But truly, like, when you think about it, like, they don't want to not obey God. And so 
it's unfortunate that they went about it the wrong way, but ultimately it's about like God is like, I am bringing a rescuer for the ultimate like problem, which is sin. Like uh, there's like some sort of cosmic evil that I'm going to deal with. And all people, like, they can't quite see it yet, but they're, like, seeing it through Jesus, and they're like, okay, okay. And he's, like, demonstrating his authority. Like, he's like, I have dominion over sickness, over creation. Like, he's walking on water, and we're like, whoa. (laughs) And, like, there's all sorts of ways he's demonstrating, like, I am more than a man. Like, I am the deliverer that has been promised and told of. Um, And so, yeah, the overall sentiment, though, among the disciples at this point is, like, yes, we found him, like, he's here, he's gonna, and at this point, they're still being oppressed, there's, like, Romans all over that are oppressing them, that are, it's, like, a sim- the same story repeated of, like, these Jews are just, like, experiencing oppression over and over, and they're, like, the guy's home, he's gonna deliver us, woo, and they're, like, ready for Jesus to throw some hands, but he doesn't do that, and so <laughs> he's, like, but then you think of that Isaiah verse, where it's, like, he will, like, kill the wicked with the words of his mouth like it's like what he's speaking has something to do with it and so that's where they're at and then at some point Jesus just like dies like he and he lets it happen that's the hard part for them I'm sure is like he has all power like he's we saw it like he walked on water dude like why is he letting himself submitting it seems to this death and it feels so backwards in their brain. It feels backwards in my brain, you know? It doesn't make sense. And, like, can you imagine, like, your friend and the person that you've hoped for, not just your life, but all the generations before you? And you're like, he's here. But then he, like, you watch him die the most horrific, painful death. Like, like it just, oh, it gets me all, like, sad. <laughs> because it should, and I'm just, but I feel it in my own heart of, like, all of the hope that feels crushed momentarily. It's a lot, man. It's, like, heavy, but what's awesome is that Jesus' death ends up being his enthronement. Like, it's him being seated on the throne because he defeats death. He conquers it, and then he, he shows up back on the scene. He's like, hey, guys, and they're like, what are you doing here? Um, <laughs> thought you died, And he's like, no, I like, there was like a greater battle going on that none of y'all could see, but I knew what I came for. And he was obedient. He was the one guy in the whole story of all human history that said, I will trust God more than my own wisdom unto death to defeat death. And he's, it says in Colossians, the firstborn among the dead. And so I'm going to read that verse because it's good. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the fulfillment of every prophecy. He's the Genesis 3.15 snake crusher. He did it. It bruised his heel, but he crushed its head. And he defeated death. Come on. That's good. And so now we see Jesus is resurrected. He's ascended to the Father. And we see the early church. And actually, in Acts 2, 17 through 21, that whole prophecy from Joel that I read earlier 
They quote that whole thing in there at Pentecost. Whenever that happens, the spirit is poured out on all flesh. And all these people are experiencing the spirit of God indwelling in them. And you see like in one part of the Bible where there was like a tabernacle where the presence of God was dwelling. Now it says like, you are the tabernacle. There's a bunch of little tabernacles running around and they all have the spirit of God in them. It's so cool. Oh man. Ooh. Um, and it's actually really sweet because you see like God's plan to reach all of the earth is not one guy, but it's the church. Like guys, the church is the hope of the world. Like we are the ones carrying the spirit of God. We're carrying the gospel and we have to go. Like if, you, if you've ever wondered what Matthew 28, 18 was about, it's to go and spread the good news. And like you carry the kingdom of God inside of you. So that's why we go is because there are places where it does not yet exist. And so there's that. Um, and so then you see like a big piece of this puzzle is this used to be like just for a specific group of people and God and really Paul, God through Paul <laughs> in the letters, the epistles, he's saying like, hey guys, like this is how the whole story comes together. This used to be just for the Israelites, but now there's this grafting in of all the people and the Jews are like kind of like how does this work? Because, like, we did all these rules and, like, whatever, and Paul is, like, explaining to them, like, no, this is how, like, theologically, practically, this is how we're doing this, and it's so helpful for them, but it's also just, side note, epistles are written to specific groups of people, and so it's really helpful to be like, okay, book of the Romans, written to the Romans, helpful, because the Romans didn't know what was up, and so we read Romans, and we're like, makes sense, because we also don't know what is up with all of the (laughs) Jewish laws, and so, and he's making sense of it for them, and the Hebrews, it's written to the Hebrews because they have this, like, backlog of, like, all of these rules, all of these stories. And so it makes a lot more sense to them. Not that it's not for us, but it kind of helps whenever you're like, oh, it was for that group of people. So when I read it, it's for them. You know, so anyways, that's my side note on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, yeah, then all the Gentiles are grafted in. And we're kind of in the, like, between those two and new creation. It's like you are here somewhere. And, but we're like hopefully really close to the new creation part because that's where we want to be. But we're in the now and the not yet. Like the kingdom of God has come, but it's like not fully inaugurated yet. But we see the description of that happening in Revelation and it's really confusing, but awesome. And it's like also like if you ever like read Revelation and been like, bro, what is going on here? Same. But like it's <laughs> hyperlinking back to all these biblical stories from the Old Testament. And you can see like all these themes, all these patterns. It's like, when you read it that way, you're like, dude, these guys are geniuses, which it must have just been the spirit of God because there's just no way this wouldn't, this would make no sense if it weren't for him. So anyways, just pray that the spirit of God brings revelation of the son to you because that's how you read revelation. Um, but yeah, the great commission is fulfilled in revelation. Jesus comes back. There's ultimate justice on the earth and the kingdom of heaven is fully inaugurated. New creation comes to earth. Woo! That's the story, guys. We did it. And it's only 1127. Let's go. <laughs> Woo. I'm sweaty. That was a lot. Um, <laughs> but, thanks, Jacob. Um, but to close, I, I want to read the first verses of the Gospel of John. Also, worship team, you guys can come back up. Um, I want to read the first 18 verses. It's going to be kind of long, but it's really cool because this version of John introducing Jesus to us is like kind of a little bit more interpretive and so you see kind of a unique picture where Matthew was like here's the genealogy and Mark's like let's get straight to the point this is what's going on and Luke is like hey this is like John the Baptist and all this stuff this is a little bit different and so I just want to close and also while I read this if you want to 
close your eyes or just like empty your brain and just receive this. I think it'll be helpful. I'm going to try and do that, but not totally empty my brain because I got to read. So, whew, big breath. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the son of the, as of the, son, the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Whew. That's who he is, guys. Isn't that nuts? That's our God. I love that Kinsey says that. That's our God. That's my God. So there's just a few things that we can take away from this. I've put a few of them on the screen. But one is just that God's been writing this amazing story <laughs> since the beginning of time. And he's not finished yet. Like, it's not totally finished yet. And we are a part of it. Like, we are a part of his story. Isn't that crazy? He made you for this. Like, what? You have a role to play. You're a character in this. And also that it really is all about him. We're invited to it, and we have a purpose in it. But it's, like, about him, which is awesome. And I think a little piece of this is just becoming aware of autopilot of like the self-centered narratives that we kind of operate in unintentionally and how sometimes that can lead us kind of not against but just like we're not operating in the fullness of this bigger story and if you don't believe that this is the story you're in right now like it might just be a heart check moment of like god like do i really believe this is real like do i believe that i have a piece to play in this and it it kind of helps you get out of the like I just got to get through work tomorrow kind of vibe. Like, that's a piece of your life, and it's important to God, but it's not the big picture. And it also invites the question of, like, what is my purpose in all of this? It feels kind of distant from me, or it doesn't feel like it really has, like, I can't relate to this, like, geographical, chronological gap between me and this book. And, man, I would just su submit to you that, it has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with your life and, and where you're at right now. And it just takes a little bit of work to get there for us. But really, I would submit to you that you were made by God to be loved by God. And that that is the most important part of your identity is that we're the beloved. We are the object of God's affection. Like He cares about us so much. 
and loving him and responding to him in that way is like number one top of the list but also it's just like acknowledging like okay like what do I do like I tend to be more in like the do mode and I have to come back to like the receiving love mode a lot (laughs) but like there is like like I want to respond like this makes me want to just like I don't know do a backflip like I just feel like I got to do something about this this is crazy and man, like, there is something about, like, the way that each of you were made that God did so intentionally because he has something for you in this story. Like, you have a role, and the gifts he's given you, the the life you've lived, the family you're a part of, it's all a piece of that, and so ask him about it. Like, he would love to tell you, like, what he has, how he has made you, and why, and the purpose for your life. Like, he loves to tell you that because he delights in you, and so ask him, like, ask him about his purpose for your life. And the last thing is just keep your eyes fixed on him. Because I think for me, I get overwhelmed regularly (laughs) by my circumstances or things that aren't going the way I thought they would or missed expectations. And I can get really wrapped up in the circumstantial things in life. And it's not that God doesn't care. He cares so much. But he has like perspective that is bigger And if you ask him about what he thinks about your circumstances, he will speak into them in a way that is so helpful that only he can. And so I would just encourage you, just don't be overwhelmed by your circumstances. Or when you do inevitably feel that way, try and zoom out. (laughs) Like, because when you're like, okay, God's been writing this story since the beginning of time, Genesis 3.15, oh my God. And you start going through it, you're like, oh, that thing that I'm worried about is really not that big of a deal. And again, not that he doesn't care about it, but it just gets placed rightly before him when you can do that and so I'm just going to pray for us that we would respond by looking at him and worshiping him and giving him the glory that he is due because that's what this makes me want to do I'm just like man he's so much bigger than I thought every time I'm just always amazed he's so much bigger than I thought he was and so that's how we're going to respond today we're just going to worship and look at him and so I'm going to pray and we're going to do that Yeah, Jesus, just say thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a good, righteous, holy king. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. Lord, and I just thank you for this story. I thank you that you've been writing it since the beginning of time, since before I was even a thought in my parents' brains. (laughs) You have been writing this story, God, and you've invited us all into it. And so, Lord, I just pray, would you just speak your life? Would you speak purpose? Would you speak more of what you have for us in this moment, God, and and for our lives, Lord? And God, I just pray that you would put us in greater awe of you, Jesus, and that we would all look at you and see you rightly, see you as you truly are, not the way that we thought you should be, but as you truly are, Jesus. We love you and we trust you. In your name.